2016 and it is the 12th day of August. To figure things out, sometimes we have to step back and refocus. The topic of tonight's refocus, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, huh? What's uh, big, giant, scary monsters running around our planet when we weren't here yet? Or are dinosaurs only in existence to prove that evolution is true? Jones it on that free music. First place to look for dinosaur information is I always like to start with what the official word is. It's much, much easier to start there. Let's see what everyone's saying, what are all the scientists saying, and then we'll take it from there. Which always brings us to Wikipedia. Right now I'm at the ichthyosaur entry for Wikipedia. Ichthyosaur is one of the earlier dinosaurs found. It means fish lizard or something like that. Yeah, fish lizard. So what I'm going to do is as we go through exploring the dinosaurs, I'm going to show you also or point out how confusing Wikipedia is and how to cut through the bull and find out what's going on with these dinosaurs. So let's go ahead and start with reading the Wikipedia page for ichthyosaur. I'll spell that in case you want to join along. I-C-H-T-H-Y-O-S-A-U-R. Ichthyosaur. Alright, ichthyosaurs are large marine reptiles Ichthyosaurs belong to the older known to the order known as Ichthyosauri or Ichthyopterygia. Designate a designation introduced by Sir Richard Owen in 1840. Although the term is now used more for the parent clade of the Ichthyosauri. I love how science just makes this so confusing, huh? Good job, science. I just, I don't even know what I read anymore. Okay, but we got this dude, Sir Richard Owen, in 1840, who named ichthyosaurs. All right, I don't care where they thrived, because you're making that shit up. You don't know. Ichthyosaur thrived during the, much of the Mesozoic era, so you think. First appeared approximately 200 million years ago, 250, so you think. All right, but let's go down to where we found this thing. 
Science became aware of the existence of the ichthyosaurs during the early 19th century when the first complete skeletons were found in England. In 1834, the order Ichthyosauri was named. Okay, well, let's go to these found in England thing. we got to scroll down to History of Discoveries. Because if you want to figure something out, you got to go to the very first one. What was the first ichthyosaur found? If we find that to be false, then all the ones after it, regardless of their rationalizing, are false as well. So you got to go to the very first ichthyosaur. The first known illustration of ichthyosaur bones, vertebrae, and limb elements were published by Wiseman by the Weishman, I don't even know what that word is, Edward Hude, in his... Lithophalsici Britannica Ictionography in 1699. All right, so he made this dude made a book and he illustrated ichthyosaur bones in his book. At the time, though, this um, Edward dude, he thought they were fish remains. So here's what Wikipedia does and what scientists are doing also. They're taking earlier remains by scientists who are claiming the bones are one thing and then only on illustrations without even looking at the bones. These other scientists in later years come along and go, nope, those weren't fish, those are ichthyosaurs. Even though the original scientist who had the bones in his hands declared they were fish, you have later scientists who all they have are pictures and are now declaring the bones to be ichthyosaurs. So that's one way, super easy to fool the public, is simply rename stuff from the past without any proof or any uh, discussion with the original author about why he called it a fish in the first place. All right, let's continue reading. Let's see. So Edward thought the bones were fish remains. In 1708, the Swiss naturalist Johann Jakob Schauser described two ichthyosaur vertebrae, assuming they belonged to a man drowned in the universal deluge. So that's another thing to talk about. Back in the 16 and 1700s. Most of the fossils they found, they were they thought they were from the Great Flood, the Noah's Ark Flood, right? Because they couldn't figure out how some bones survived the fossil process and others didn't. So what they said is when they came upon a fossil, they're like, oh, this must have died in the flood, the Noah Flood, the Universal Deluge deluge and those authors talked about it quite a bit actually about these bones and how they all died approximately at the same time in the flood so it's interesting that scientists from later years will take some of what earlier scientists said but throw away the rest I found that's very beneficial to making up any story you want all right, let's finish reading. 
Let's see. So the ichthyosaurs, um, all we had in the beginning then are illustrations in books written by other people. Towards the end of the 18th century, British fossil collections quickly increased in size. Um, much of the ichthyosaurs were called crocodiles, as being part of the crocodile family, or belonging to fish or dolphins as well, or sea lions. They were also collecting teeth and calling the teeth those that, that had been from sea lions. The demands by collectors led to more intense commercial digging activities in the early 19th century. This resulted in the discovery of more complete skeletons. Oh, really? You're going to pay a bunch of dudes to bring you skeletons of what you want to find? Of course, you're going to find exactly what you're asking to be found. You're going to find any skeleton and call it what you want, it seems to me. In 1804, Edward Donovan at St. Donuts, uncovered a four meters long ichthyosaur specimen containing a jaw, vertebrae, ribs, and a shoulder girdle. So what we're actually saying here, he didn't discover the entire ichthyosaur. He just discovered a jaw, some vertebrae, some ribs, and it looks like um, something from the shoulder. It was considered to be a giant lizard. In 1805, a newspaper article reported that the find of two additional skeletons, one discovered at Weston by Jacob Wilkinson and the other at the same village by Reverend Peter Hawker in 1807, the last specimen was described with the latter's cousin, Joseph. So there's a lot of dudes. I'm going to stop there. There's a lot of people collecting fossils and getting paid for them. And calling them funny names. So at, at the time, even in 1805, 1810, it wasn't quite... They weren't quite sure what fossils they were finding. But now we get into 1811. Now here's where they say they have the first complete skeleton of an ichthyosaur. In 1811, in Lyme Regis along with what is now called the Jurassic Coast of Dorset, the first complete ichthyosaur skull was found by Joseph Anning, A-N-N-I-N-G, the brother of Mary Anning, who, in 1812, while still a young girl, secured the torso of the same species. Oh, what luck! Their mother, Molly Anning, sold the combined piece to Squire Henry Henley for 23 pounds. Henley lent the fossil to the London Museum of Natural History. When the museum was closed, the British Museum brought the fossil for 47 pounds. It still belongs to the collection and is now independent Natural History Museum. It was now belongs to the collection of the now independent Natural History Museum and has the inventory number BMNR, wait, BMNHR1158. It has been identified as the specimen of Timnodontosaurus platodon. All right, so what did I just read there? 
Joseph Anning and her brother Mary Anning, who was a child, they each found half of a fossil and they sold it to a guy for a bunch of money. I guess before we go any further, we should discuss what are they actually finding in the fossils. Is there an actual fossil in the 1800s? A lot of the rich dudes collected a ton of fossils. They wanted to figure out where they're living, what their world was made of. So let's go to the Sedgwick Museum of Earth Sciences in the United Kingdom. And let's take a look at their fossil collections. See what they have amassed over the years. The Sedgwick Museum's collections are an important resource for research, learning, and enjoyment. The museum is responsible for the care of approximately 2 million specimens from around the world, encompassing more than 4.5 billion years of Earth's history. The museum's collections are organized broadly into five major categories. Paleontology, which is fossils, mineralogy, which are minerals, petrology, which is igneous, metamorphic, and sedimentary rocks, building stones, and the Woodwardian collection. The Cedric Museum also houses a collection of archive material containing records from the 17th century to the present day. Only a small portion of the collections are on display. The remainder of the collections are held in a special storage, in specialist storage, and can be viewed by appointment. All right, there's one particular collection. Uh, there's a couple. Okay, so we got, what, what did he say? Two million? How many, how many um, rocks do they have? What did that say? Two million, about two million. That's a lot of rocks. A lot of rocks. Another collection, Building Stones Collection. The John Watson Building Stones Collection is named after John Watson, 1842 to 1918, who donated his collection of approximately 300 British and foreign stones and specimens illustrating the manufacture of plasters and cement to the museum in 1905. Watson had retired from his work in the Portland cement industry and continued to develop the collection until his death in 1918. Today, it comprises approximately 2,500 traditional building stones, roofing slates, road stones, flagstones, and decorative and ornamental stones that were in extensive use throughout Britain and its colonies during the 19th and earliest 20th century. That is quite a collection. The reason I read that is to show you that a lot of collecting was, had been going on. I mean, we have millions and millions of fossils. So when I asked for proof of the, of the fossils of the earliest finds in dinosaur research, well, they can say it's in a big, giant museum, I guess, uh, put away in specialist packaging, but I don't have access to it. And in a lot of my research... Um, I'm reading that a lot of these uh, early di important dinosaur pieces have been lost to history. So I'll read in one um, of the very same bone uh, in one publication that it's housed in maybe like Cambridge, but then in another publication says it was burned up in a fire. 
Either way, I don't have access to it. So the common man doesn't have a chance to investigate what's going down here, what they are actually collecting, what they're calling dinosaurs. The Cedric Museum has two million fossils. That's just one building in England. That's just one place. <laughs> That's just one one housing of a entire collection. There's many others throughout England of these uh, early dinosaur finds and early fossil finds and early rock type finds and things like that. So I imagine there's at least a couple dozen more buildings with millions of fossils in them as well. So in a way you could say the fossils get lost in in their fossils like Indiana Jones, you know when he's uh when Indiana Jones is taking the ark and it's already packed up in its wood crate, the ark of the covenant and they're taking it to that military warehouse. And it's just ginormous in this, the Ark of the Covenant with all this power is put in this little tiny area. You know, it didn't seem so big anymore. Set in that warehouse of other stuff. Basically, it's getting lost with all the other junk in there. That's the point. Same with fossils. Same with fossils. Another thing that needs to be said about fossil finds is usually... When an animal dies, it dies in a, not just like sitting on top of the water. It's in a matrix of dirt or rock. So when we find the fossil, then you, um, you see like maybe part of it, the fossil itself was harder than the surrounding matrix it was put in. So the matrix wears away, but the fossil's behind and you say, oh, it's sticking up. So I watched, there's some really cool videos of fossil hunters, how they prepare a fossil. What you're going to hear next is the sound of the uh, fossil preparer's tool. It's electric. I think it's um, it's compressed air, but it's got this little metal tip on the end that shakes and vibrates. So when he holds the tool to the rock, it vibrates the rock and cracks it up. And then the rock separates from the fossil inside. And usually um, the rock and the fossil, the matrix around the fossil, which we'll call the rock, is at a different hardness or not quite as hard as the fossil. So sometimes it chips away really easy, meaning big chunks come off and leave the fossil like perfectly intact. And other times the matrix is adhered to the fossil and you have a little trouble separating the two. Here's where you can get a little creative, right? If uh, Sometimes fossil hunters have to guess at what's underneath the rock. Because that the separation between the fossil and the matrix is degraded. So they got to guess. Other times it's obvious it pops right off. What you're going to listen to is first the tool the man is using to separate the rock from the fossil. And then he talks about the difficulty he has. And then he goes on again using his tool. And I, this guy, I have so much fun. I actually watched several of his videos. His name is Fossil Soft and he's from England. And... You know, I just turned the sound down a little bit, and it's kind of relaxing just to watch him chip away at that fossil. It's just, it was just a good, a good pastime, and very satisfying when big rock chips came off, leaving a bunch of the obvious fossil left behind. Good stuff. I would um, recommend if you like fossils, prepping fossils in in your back shed 
you'll you'll like this guy fossil soft on youtube that's his channel fossil soft on youtube unfortunately it's one of the uh, sticky ones where we're not going to be able to keep the calcite shell if you notice how easily the pen is taking really large chunks of rock off it's because it's so soft when they tend to be like this you can't uh, pull out the calcite shell from the matrix so you basically end up with more of an internal cast than the actual calcite ammonite itself but we'll keep going what he said at the end there was that when the matrix is the same hardness as the shell then it's a hard time differentiating where the layer is and what can happen is you can dig through quite a bit of the fossil not knowing it and all you have left is the inside of it but you think you have the whole fossil and I think for these early um, fossil hunters by the time they separated the matrix from the shell what did they really have left I mean what were they looking at if they were doing it that way that's just one way I think Honestly, they were just misidentifying obvious fossils. Instead of saying it's a whale, they're like, it's a giant whale lizard. Instead of saying it's a crocodile, it's a giant crocodile lizard. I think it's just plain misidentification in the beginning. And they were arrogant. The arrogance of these men. And um, it should also be said the funding. It, you know, how can this completely incorrect line of thinking that there were all these dinosaurs be possible okay it's just not possible well you got to look at funding i mean right now what gets funded is what's out there what it's what gets published so if you're not going to fund it so if you just what gets funded look at who's funding a project so if you're only going to fund dinosaur research well then it's going to bloom if you're just going to fund um, accurately recreating history, regardless of what it means to our preconceived notions, that's another thing. Those guys don't get funded. So now we have these rocks. We have all these rocks. We have all these fossils that have been collected. Um, who knows if how how obvious their identification is. I know we have these shale cliffs near my house we can it's about okay 30 mile drive um it's around black diamond auburn in the state of washington in flaming geyser state park there's a bunch of these trails and one of them leads past a shale cliff and i i talked about this before on previous podcasts you can grab any any um any bunch of shale it's this you know the layered rock from the cliff or what fell to the ground because it's a bare cliff and pop it open and you're going to see an imprint of a leaf in there they're all over the place it's so it's obvious it's a leaf it's a perfect imprint of a leaf perfect in every way there's just so many of them it's not unique we used to collect them but they're everywhere so we're like ah eh, <laughs> let's stop collecting them but once in a while, you get like a leaf folded, which was cool, or part of an insect, which is super cool. And that's really what I looked for, to see if there are any insects in there. 
So some fossils are obvious. There you go. It's a freaking imprint. It can't be denied. And we have the same leaf, a maple leaf, right here next to it. It's obvious what it is. But what are you doing? It's not obvious. Regardless, uh, back in the 16, 17, 1800s, they were really trying to figure things. They were collecting everything. Tons of collections. And housing them everywhere. Where do you keep 3,000 fossils, 10,000 fossils? What do you, where do you keep them if you're a fossil collector? Most fossil collections started as personal by these big lords and uh, of the manor. And then over time, their heirs were like, good God, Father, get rid of those. And then so they were donated to different museums. So most fossil collections today in museums came from private donors who would collect, amassed just a ton of them. But back to the very first people who um, are dinosaur people who first started collecting, the very first collectors, back to the very first guys. Were they out digging in the cliffs themselves? Not really. No. Um, they would sit back in their lounge chair in the evening, you know, and smoking. There's a fire, raging fire, and they're sitting in their desk all proper, like reading, you know, the correspondences of the day. And they see, ooh, there's a some guy at a cliff found something, or a butler comes running in. Sire, sire, a, an interesting fossil has been found at the quarry. And so the sire says, send it forthwith. It's kind of like, you know, they all, what they did is, the men who were interested in collecting early strange fossils had the word out to all the quarries uh, and generally had the word out. Hey, if you find something, bring it to me. I'm interested in it. And then over time, these men had um, collected a few fossils of the most interested. In. So the most interested people then were in correspondence with each other already. So when cool fossils came around, they passed them back and forth. Well, mostly what happened is these boxes of fossils would be passed on from one collector to another. And during their time of um, having that fossil, they sketched it. So really what we have is a bunch of sketches of fossils. And all it takes is a little bit of investigation to figure we really don't even have bones anymore. We don't have fossils. They're just all sketches on pieces of paper. So let's take the one fossil we found in the Wikipedia, the ichthyosaur fossil. They give it a name, BMNH. And they BM, so it stands for the British Museum of Natural History, BMNH R1158. So at at the British Museum of Natural History, The ichthyosaur found by Joseph Anning has this number, BMNHR1158. All right, well, let's look it up. Where the hell is it? If some dude found it, it must be sitting somewhere. So let's look it up. My first search, if I do a wiki search on BMNHR1158, my first entry, there's a book about it. All right, so now th this ichthyosaur is referenced in a book. 
So let's take a look at the book. The first book is about dinosaurs. It's called, let me get to the title, that our search results give us. Dinosaurs and Other Extinct Saurians, A Historical Perspective. Written by the Geological Society, special publication, 343. And this was written in, what's the year? 2010. What's oh, not that old? So if we look for our, our BMNHR115, our ichthyosaur sample, they mention it in the book. An interesting thing is the ichthyosaur sketch written by Mary Anning is um, fairly vague and only has a few skeletons in it. But then you get to this author here of this publication and they have the same ichthyosaur, but now it's a mystery, mystery solved. It's a complete skeleton now. So here's what I find they're doing. Authors are taking license and taking partial skeletons of dinosaurs, which only have one or two bones, and then filling in the rest just with their imagination. So there's not a lot of science behind dinosaur hunting is what I'm finding. All right, let's go to the second entry that our Google search did. This one is um, the paleophile.com. What is paleophile? Paleophile.com. Here you will find a taxonomic list of names of animals that lived in the Paleozoic, Mesozoic, and Cenozoic period. Alright, so this place says it has all the dinosaur stuff. And here we find our BMNH1135. And again, it references... Here's what I'm finding. Dinosaur fossils are commonly referenced, but in different ways, even though they say it's the same fossil. So this was supposed to be uh, 1158 is part of an ichthyosaur that Mary Anning and her brother, they each found half of it. It wasn't a full ichthyosaur, but they each found parts of it. But now when they refer to it, instead of being as parts of an ichthyosaur, we see that the type, the um, material BMNHR1158 has now been incorporated into an even another type of animal. They call it the neotype BN, BMNH2003. And this is supposed to be I guess what they're doing is they're putting a bunch of other types together to make this type, a bunch of other fossils together to create. That seems to be what dinosaur hunting is about, taking older fossils, putting them in, in, together to make a new animal. And they don't just do it with ichthyosaurs. They do it with a lot of other dinosaurs, I'm finding. The third entry from Google um, references... Uh, 1158 in a Temnodontosaurus wiki article. It's another dinosaur article. But as it's referred to, an, let me read it. Uh, 
This species of platodon was named by William Coney Bear in 1822. From the specimen BMNH2003 from the Lyme Regis. From the Lyme Regis. Let's take a gander and see what Lyme Regis is. Lyme Regis is a coastal town in West Dorset, England, situated 25 miles west of Dorchester and 25 miles east of Exeter. The town lies in Lyme Bay on the English Channel. Alright, so uh, we got a place here, Lyme Regis, and I guess uh, they have rocks and cliffs and stuff. And I guess a lot of um, dinosaur bones were found in these cliffs, in the rocks in these cliffs. And it looks like they're all layered, like a bunch of different layers, kind of like shales, so you could have different types of um, leaves and bugs and stuff getting caught in the shale. And, you know, I would imagine all types of marine animals. The town is noted for fossils found on its beaches and in its cliffs, which are part of the Heritage Coast, known commercially as the Jurassic Coast, a World Heritage Site stretching 153 kilometers from Orcombe Point near Exmouth to the west to Old Hairy Rocks in the east. <laughs> the coastal exposure provides a continuous sequence of Triassic, Jurassic, and Cretaceous rock, Cretaceous rock formations, spanning approximately 185 million years. Wow, England is so lucky of all the places on Earth. It takes England to have this perfect history of dinosaurs for the world. All right, let's get back to our 1158. Let's find where'd that go? Where is that original fossil? that Mary Anning found. It's referred to a lot, but where's the actual fossil at? Well, here we have, a, uh, finishing our article, Temnodontosaurus, the wiki article, where it references our 1158, Platodon. It says that this well-preserved skull is at the British Museum. However, there's a note on the wiki article that there's a tag on this for error because there's so many different... This is referred to, that 1158, is referred to by different scientists for different reasons. So there's a lot of confusion around it, first of all, which this isn't unique, by the way. A lot of the naming systems for a lot of these dinosaurs are very confusing. If you take one and you follow it, you'll find out how crazy it is and how they really have no system at all. We have so many entries from Google with British Museum of Natural History, holotype, 1158 yet to find out where it's actually sitting is tough what museum it's sitting in because one of the things they do when they decide a fossil is part of a bigger species they rename the fossil holotype 
to the larger species it thinks it belongs to. So along the way, the names of these original fossils get changed, which makes it even more difficult to, to um, track them down. All right, what is a holotype? Well, a holotype is supposed to be the bones that were found that a species is named for. So that's how they decide species. Names is the bones. Now, in modern-day science, what does this mean? Well, if a scientist goes to the jungle of the Amazon and he founds, finds a new ant that he doesn't think anyone has seen before. Well, he takes that ant, puts it in a jar, and now that ant, the new one that he thinks no one ever found before, that ant in that jar, that's the holotype. So that ant in that jar is going to go on a museum shelf, perhaps put some formaldehyde in it so it doesn't continue to rot. And now that's your holotype for that new ant. So you need a physical specimen in order to be a holotype. Well, with dinosaurs, they don't have physical specimens all the time. What they have are drawings of specimens. So the because the actual specimen perhaps got lost because they've been collecting dinosaur bones for a couple hundred years now. That doesn't stop them. If you lose a dinosaur bone, doesn't matter. As long as you have a drawing of it, the science of dinosaur bones says, we're good, use the drawing. That's all we have. The drawing's good enough. So what we have now are a bunch of drawings of drawings of bones. And now we're making a bunch of assumptions about those drawings. For example, the ichthyosaur, if you look at its skull, it's elongated, kind of like an alligator skull. But I notice what they're doing. Instead of, it's about the size of a dolphin, all right, an ichthyosaur. And it's probably just a dolphin, <laughs> honestly. In the end, it's probably just a dolphin or an alligator or a crocodile, anything that's around that size that's currently living today. Because what they're doing, meaning the scientists who study ichthyosaurs, is at a certain point on the face of a skull, a fish skull, or, or a dolphin skull, they have these nose holes. The, the, but what they're doing is the nose hole on the dolphin skull becomes the eye hole on the dinosaur skull. So that's what I noticed they're doing. All these nose holes, they're putting, they're acting like they're eye holes. So it's giving the, the dolphin or the whale or the fish a new look because they're putting eyes where the nose skull holes go. You could change any creature if you're going to do that. If you're going to start rearranging body parts, which is also one of the issues with the ichthyosaur. Usually when they find these skulls, they're not like laid out neatly as you know, as a, a skull would be laid out on the floor with the head up on one side and the feet on the other. 
These are usually mashed up and found in a pile, like you would imagine fossils to be found, kind of in a pile. So it takes a little bit of going through the pile to figure out what you have in the first place. So what we're trusting here is Mary Anning, who was basically a fossil whore, she found a bunch of fossils, who knows where she found them, and sold them at a high, at the highest price she could. We're trusting her decision and her sketches of what she found is really what she found in the first place. At this point, all of Mary Anning's fossils are lost to history. Or lost to Indiana Jones's big military vault that he put the ark in. So maybe our fossils are lost to some big giant warehouse in history. Well, we can't get there anyway. We can't find those to examine them. BMNH is the British Museum of Natural History, so one would think that's where the fossils would be located. But they often send them out, and when you try and research their database system, you get things like butterflies, you know, anything incorporating the number except those early dino fossils you're looking for. No matter how many hours you spend a day looking, they fail to arise. All you got to do is look up whale skull or dolphin or porpoise skull and then look up plesiosaur skull or platodon skull. You'll see what I mean. They're basically the same thing. They clearly are just whale skulls or dolphin skulls that they misidentified. So we're looking for, so what I've been doing, I've been stopping the recording and starting and stopping. What I've been looking for for the last half hour is where is 1158, the British Museum of Natural History Platodon that Mary Anning found. B M N H R one one five eight. I've spent about a half hour to try and find where this actual fossil, if it is a fossil of a dinosaur, is sitting. What museum? It's tough to find, you know, because most dinosaurs in museums um, are casts. They're not actually. They're not the dinosaurs. So in the United States, there is no museum with an actual dinosaur bone on display. They're so rare and they're so, they're such special finds, they would not be out in public display. That's what I think is one of the misconceptions that most people have is that museums have actual real dinosaur bones, but they don't. They have casts of dinosaur bones, which are copies. So here's a art here's a a video about Dippy. It's supposed to be the Diplocatus dinosaur at the Natural History Museum in England. And the reason I'm gonna play this is because they talk about it being a cast, not an actual dinosaur. 
A life-sized cast of a dinosaur that's taken pride of place in London's Natural History Museum is being forced into retirement after 109 years. Dippy the Diplodocus is to be moved out of the museum's main hall and replaced by a blue whale from summer 2017. Well, I can tell you one reason they're moving the dinosaur because it absolutely looks ridiculous. It has a big old giant mouth that looks like a watermelon with a slice in it. I mean, it's clearly not what we see as dinosaurs today, so it is way past its time as a dinosaur species goes. It's, I guess its example is quite ridiculous as a dinosaur is what I'm saying. So they replace it with what? A blue whale? So this is what makes dinosaurs so confusing because they have real things right next to fake things. We have the fake Diplocatus, which they show um, complete with all its bones, when in reality the find was just one or two little bones. So that should worry us right there. We are coming up with entire animals what they look like, uh, what their habitats are, when all we have is a tiny little bone. It's ridiculous. So this is what makes it confusing. Dinosaurs are political. They're political also. Let's, let's listen to why we want to replace the Diplocatus with the blue whale. Measuring in at 83 feet long, the real skeleton of the whale will be suspended from the ceiling to serve as a potent reminder of environmental destruction. The real skeleton. So she does let you know that the other one was not a real skeleton, skeleton, but the blue whale is a real skeleton. So she did make that differentiation. Following Dippy's retirement, he could be sent on a grand tour of the UK as museum directors plan to preserve the dinosaur for as long as possible. Dippy was originally installed in the Reptile Gallery in 1905 and during the Blitz he was dismantled and stored in the museum's basement for protection. During the Blitz, that would be World War II during the bombing from Germany. They stored it in the basement. They don't really need to because I think if you look what Dippy is, it looks like metal pieces they fashioned out of metal. And then they just stuck them on. They um, glued them to the frame. So the metal bones are glued to a frame. Let's recap what we tried to accomplish here today. We looked up an early dinosaur bone, which is the platodon. They call it a dinosaur because it's a lizard. It's supposed to be a lizard. And that's the whole idea behind, um, behind dinosaurs, is that they're supposed to be lizards. And this one is a lizard. The platodon is a lizard that swims. I would suggest that the people who want society to move a certain way, such as to move us toward understanding that evolution is a real thing. I mean, why shouldn't it be, right? Why can't we evolve? It's because there's no proof, first of all. There's no bone proof. And I, I thought I wanted to be an archaeologist, so I went to college and I studied all about early man and from our earliest 
Homo sapiens skeletons to our the latest one, Homo sapiens sapiens. Scientists are making huge assumptions about bones, about dinosaur bones and early human bones, about how one animal can morph into another one. Huge assumptions. All the way back to the Australopithecines like Lucy. And what you find is, probabilistically, if we throw some math in there, what's the probability you would find a bone sitting on a ground or sitting in a cliff or sitting in the dirt of a brand new, never before seen animal. So you find a bone, but no one's ever seen it before compared to the probability of finding a bone sitting in a cliff that's of a modern day animal. I think if we find any bones in the, at all, the probability says they should be from an animal that's existing. I was thinking about this when I was weeding the other day in my garden. So right there, there's a spot in my garden. Say I found a fossil on that spot in my garden. Over the lifetime of that spot, how many animals have walked over and become potential donors of their bones becoming fossils? So one spot. So how many animals over the lifetime of that place on earth have many, many animals walked? My point is the number of dinosaurs that have walked over that area from that point until now and then all the other animals that have been found over that one area in my garden. Probability says if I find a bone, it's not going to be a dinosaur. If I find a bone, it's probably going to be of a local animal that somehow was preserved. Now, I'm also assuming that animal wasn't brought there by any other means, that it was naturally found there. So that's my point. All these dinosaur bones we're finding are like one in a billion find of all the animals that existed over that spot. What's the probability that you just found a dinosaur? It's a brand new species. Pretty, pretty extraordinary find if you think about it compared to all the other animals that ever lived over that piece of dirt. So each dinosaur find is like a miracle. And you know what? Dudes in the business know it's a miracle find. That's why they lock them up. That's why they're not on display. All right, let's get back to what an ichthyosaur is in the first place. An ichthyosaur is the bigger family that a platodon would be under. It's assumed to be some sort of reptile swimming animal that's the size of a dolphin or that's the size of an alligator or that's the size of a crocodile name your animal because the thing they all have in common is they have long vertebrae and that's the big deal about the ichthyosaur is it has you know a lot of vertebrae lined up in a row and plus it has a long jaw it has a long jawbone with teeth in it which might be like 
a dolphin or a crocodile or an alligator. Who knows? I mean, just Occam's razor. If you find a jawbone and it kind of looks like a crocodile bone, chances are it's a crocodile. (laughs) Chances are it's a crocodile. And in the beginning, um, a lot of these, the early people... And they weren't necessarily scientists, but they were rich dudes who liked to trade boxes of bones. They thought the early fossils were dolphins or crocodiles or alligators. They didn't think they were anything strange. It wasn't until later, uh, in the late 1800s, that scientists went back and discovered earlier literature and then changed what that literature was. So that's a problem right there. The other problems we have is... Hey, this is a really weird medium to be talking about dinosaurs because I realize dinosaurs are visual. They're all visual. They're all pictures. This medium, how we're discussing this right now, is all auditory. So if you're interested, it's going to take a little bit of dig in on your part. However, what I want to do is give you a head start on that digging. All you have to do is Google ichthyosaur, skull, and keep that page open. Then open another tab and Google dolphin skull. Or do, do a third page. Do crocodile skull and just compare them. Do a Google image search, so that way you get all the different types of ichthyosaurs that are out there, uh, that people are claiming, and you'll just look at it. What's going, they're almost the same. What's going on is, again, they're using the nose holes or the nose cavities for most of these dinosaurs and calling them eye cavities. That's really all we're doing here. And if you look at the dolphin skull compared to the ichthyosaur or the platodon skull, you'll see what I mean. All right, other issues with ichthyosaur being real or dinosaurs in general. Now, I'm making a big leap. Now, hopefully, with this audio here, I'm giving you enough information where you can prove it to yourself that ichthyosaurs don't exist as a species. What I did is I did this same type of search with many other dinosaur species and came with basically the same conclusion I'm coming to now, is that a bunch of these old dinosaur bones, all we have are drawings of them from the old dudes who drew them or saw the bone, and we're, we're making a bunch of assumptions after that. So the, the problem is that early fossils only exist in drawings and books. And our modern-day dinosaur scientific collection of information. And I think what we're doing is we're just keeping up with the paradigm. Is that our dinosaur people aren't talking to our natural people. So the guys who look at dinosaurs and those bones aren't getting together with guys who look at bird bones. And seeing maybe what you found was just a bird. Probably not a bird, though. They're probably just whales. I mean, T-Rex, just a dumbass whale you found. 
most of them are just whale bones. Or I mean, and I think nowadays though, a lot of it's just made up. I think people in charge understand the scam, understand the fraud going on. In a lot of these cases, it's um, they're scamming for funds. They're scamming for money. It's a big deal, and also it supports the paradigm. All right, issues with ichthyosaur. Fossils for cash, man. Is that really your business? Really? Fossils for cash? You expect to get honest results from that? Another problem, holotype. What's a holotype? Well, a holotype is the actual specimen a species is named for. Other issues with ichthyosaur. The holotype number is often changed. So what we found out is that BMNRH1158, which referred to, which originally re- referred to as a juvenile platodon, made from a couple different fish stuck together or a couple different specimens stuck together, is now part of another holotype called the Temnodon. Where's that? So they, they completely changed the number and made it a new species. Temnodontosaurus for cutting tooth lizard. Temno means to cut. Is an extinct genus of ichthyosaurus from the early Jurassic. Ah, so they keep changing the numbers and making new dinosaurs out of old ones once they start putting them together. And I see some of the Mary Anning platodons used as part of the Termodontoridae genus holotype. So they like screwing that up. Other issues with ichthyosaur. They just don't exist. Huh? It's not just one animal. What they're doing is they're taking a bunch of animals and putting them together and calling them. If I want to go, just going back to T-Rex, even though it's not the subject of this talk, the original T-Rex came from three different sites and three different one was like a a hip bone one was a a femur and another was some arm bone or leg bone whatever but three different spots they put together to say it was one animal that just doesn't make and oh the other issue these bones they find they're always just chewed up the real bones were were quite chewed up and quite undistinguishable. So I think that's another reason perhaps dinosaurs got their name is that early scientists were unable to identify a bone, whether because it was old or they were ignorant. Who knows? But that's one of the issues I'm seeing. Not identifying a bone. But today, honestly, right now, if there's any new dinosaur hunting going on, I think it's all, it's it's a scam. It's it's a fraud. They're all, the di- people who are finding the dinosaur bones are a small, tiny, tiny group of people. And guess what? You ain't in it. You're not part of that group. So this group is a, a closed set of people. Only a few people these days are allowed to find dinosaurs. Now, that's in America and Britain. China... They're getting on the dinosaur bandwagon, but big. They're finding all sorts of dinosaurs. And and we can't tell them, no, you didn't. Because <laughs> we found our own, too. I think they're, 
It's like the space race. Yeah, China, you really made it to the moon. And you got dinosaurs too, huh? How can we tell China they're lying about the moon mission when we lied about the moon mission? How can we tell China they're lying about all their dinosaur finds when we're lying about all our dinosaur finds? You see what a nifty little system you have? Once people catch on to the scam, they just join the scam. That's all. I want to apologize for kind of rambling all over the place here trying to discuss dinosaurs. But maybe if I tell you my purpose, it'll kind of help make things a little clearer. I've been studying dinosaurs. Oh my God, just... My whole point was to prove clues form wrong. I had read an article that dinosaurs didn't exist, and I'm like, that's bullshit. That's so easy to prove. So I went to prove it, and I couldn't. My goal was just to find some real bones, some actual dino bones. Well, they're super hard to find. And most of the articles I came across, the original holotypes were missing, burnt up in fires and such. The earliest known dino bones, the basis, the foundation for why we believe in dinosaurs in the first place is not there. So if there's no early dino bones, then what are we basing all this on? What are we basing all our original guidelines for dino bones on? You're matching real bones from real animals to fiction, or there's no bones at all and you've been faking it the whole time. I don't know which is which because I'm not part of that inner group that decides. But all I know is the early bones, they're non-existent. And what do universities do and colleges? Well, they take pictures of drawings. And if you're in the upper level, if you're in a graduate program in, the, in a anthropology and dinosaur studies, you have to take other people's drawings and diagrams and analyze them yourself. You have to talk about uh, what bone it is, what its function is, what uh, how it matches current bones and functions. It's The problem is... They're talking, they're preaching to the choir. Dino people only talk to dino people. If they took their research over to an actual bird person, the bird would go, no, this isn't it. So dino hunters, they're not in the dirt. They're in the textbooks. That's really where university dino hunters are. Unless you're in the specialized group that goes hunting and mystically finds the dino bone every time you go hunting for it. These guys are so lucky. If you want to um, find some luck, follow a dino hunter. They go out looking for a dino bone, and they find the very bone they're looking for. It's quite a miracle, these dino hunters. So they did the same thing with early man. You need a bone from a man that's 50 years old, just go start walking in Ethiopia. It'll just be there laid on the floor, Richard Leakey. They're so lucky. They're the luckiest people on earth. The entire industry of dinosaurs is based on bones. So it's, uh, we call it ironical that the very beginning of the industry based on bones isn't based on bones at all. It's based on drawings of bones. Thank you for being here with me, for hanging out with Kay on my, my first episode of Refocus. The year's 2016. It is the 13th of August.
what we did today is we tried to figure out dinosaurs or ichthyosaurs. And to do that, we had to step back and refocus.